So I'm happy that we're here. We're meeting again, coming to the end of another sermon series. And, uh, you know, I recognize that this is a very tough time. And while we've been going through a financial series, I just wanted to acknowledge that I know that there are families that are struggling. And you guys have been talking to me and there are ones that I'm sure that you haven't talked to me yet. The reason I'm going through this, where we're going from scarcity into wealth, is because I want to keep on reminding us that even after this pandemic happens, we can go from scarcity into wealth. The same things apply no matter where we find ourselves starting. We're able to move along this trajectory. And so I really wanted to be an encouragement in this time to say that that our economics, that our, that our monetary value, that the things that, that sometimes we look at and say, hey, this is what it is, that stuff, God has always allowed us to be able to say, no matter how bad things get, we're able to take these things that we've looked at, looked at the past three weeks and this week, we're able to take these principles and we're able to apply them in whatever economic reality we live in. From that point, we can start to move forward. And so the hope is that this is an encouraging series in a time for some of us, we may be feeling extreme economic uh, struggle. So this is, uh, this is meant for that. You know, I was thinking about what I invest in and how it shows my character. We were talking about that last week. We were talking about investing in something of kingdom value. And it really does model after what Jesus says, right? Where Jesus says that, that where my heart is, that's where, or where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. That there's that direct link in between where my monetary investments are, that's what I care about. That's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm, that's what I'm pursuing. <clears throat> so as I choose what I invest in, I choose what I'm pursuing as well. And so that's why I think that our investments should align with uh, kingdom pursuits, whether that's secular or, or, uh, or in a religious institution, it, it doesn't matter. Kingdom pursuits are holistic. They go all the way around. And so we, we invest in that. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about that um, a little bit later. So today I'm asking the question, why gain wealth at all? I'm asking, why do we even bother? And uh, I'm not the only one asking the question. King Solomon asked the question as well in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read that. Um, but before I do that, I'm going to pray. God, I thank you for the ability to gain wealth. I thank you for your provision through hard times. And God, if there are people that as this, as this disruption continues on and it feels like an eon now, it feels like this has been going on forever. Um, but as it continues on, if there are more people that, that need continued, uh, that need help, God, I pray that, that Promise Church would be there in a position to apply some of these strategies about being generous, about all that, that Promise Church would be able to live that out and model it as well. And, uh, and I pray that, that we would have that opportunity. God, I pray, for, um, I pray for families and for financial blessing. And I pray that as we step into why do we even want wealth and how to live with surplus and how to determine what to do with it. God, I pray that you would bless families in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We would still welcome you to be interacting with us on Slack um, and, uh, and, and definitely be there as well. But why gain wealth at all? Why do we want to be wealthy? Um, 
And, and sometimes, you know, we, we can get in a culture where we flip the script on us and we're like, oh, well, that's bad. And so we don't want to gain wealth. And the poorest person is the best. I mean, didn't Jesus say that the last will finish first and the first will finish last, right? So the poorest person should be the last, uh, the best. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> is, there, is there kingdom value in that? And, uh, and, and so to, to look at this, I want to look at some of what Solomon saw and why Solomon saw what he saw. And then we're going to see where to go from there. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter two. There's a bunch of verses here. It says, I said in my heart, I is Solomon. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on it. Folly, till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under the heavens in a few days of their life. Get this. I made great works, <clears throat> how, built houses, and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of, of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which uh, to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And I had great possessions of herds and flocks and more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And so I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in all of Jerusalem, and all of my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep it from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had, expe had expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity, and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So, Solomon here, he's experiencing great wealth. You know, and why gain wealth at all is our question. The, the logical conclusion of this passage is that self-focused wealth building leads to a kind of vanity, a meaninglessness, something that, that isn't really good and helpful. Um, you know, he, he despairs even further. 2 verse 18 says, I hated all my toil, which I toiled under the sun, seeing I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Like, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled, and I use my wisdom under the sun. So that's vanity too. So he's looking at this in, in this despair, saying there's nothing that's going to come of it. Like, it's it's nothing. It doesn't do anything. And, and uh, you know, the idol of money is when we pursue money for the sole purpose of fulfilling our desires. We're pursuing it just to fulfill our desires. We're right here in, the, in, the, in King Solomon's experiment. We are saying, 
whatever I want, I just go get it. I'm just gonna go and, and give all my, get all my desires for myself and, and build all of these things for myself and that's what I do. I just, this is my end goal. My end goal is in my desires. And, and if it's all for my desires, then I begrudge passing it on. I begrudge giving it to somebody else because I worked hard for that. And that's not okay that somebody who didn't do anything can get it after me. And so when we see that, that money becomes an idol, it's, it's around this idea that, I, that I'm accumulating wealth for my own desires, my own pleasure. I'm following my own impulses. See, the king lived with a temporary life construct. He lived with the now. This is it. This is all I've got. I've got from birth until death and nothing else matters. There's no meaning outside of this time frame. He lived with this, this is it. Well, we know in the kingdom of God, we don't live in a this is it mindset. We have a hope due to the resurrection of Jesus that there is an eternal forevermore. And we have an idea based on what we saw in last week's message that there is a hope that's painted out for us, that there is a trajectory where God says that resources are plentiful, where it says that, that there is no more suffering and there is no competition because resources are scarce. So we know that, that living in abundance is something that God has for us. And we know that today we foreshadow what God does. But when we live into the trap of living in the now, everything loses its meaning. Now thinking about our finances um, makes us feel an existential angst about our possessions because really they just amount to nothing because now passes. So the greater our vision of an eternal reality, the more valuable and impactful our decisions about what we do with our wealth can be. You know, I want to do a lot of things, but the things that I invest in uh, end up being things that you know, I guess I can't say I do it one way or another. I have my base desires and then I have my, my strong desires that are rooted in something with purpose. And I would like my investments to move towards those strong desires, those healthy desires that have a purpose behind them rather than my base desires that are based in the now. You know, uh, I think it was Richard Dawkins who, who said that uh, the only way to get value out of your life is to invest in something and to, and to pursue something that's greater than yourself. You know, as, a, as an atheist, it, it's kind of a shocking statement um, because that's what the Christians say all along. We pursue something that's beyond ourselves. We pursue a relationship with God. We pursue God's vision of eternity and we, and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we see this this future reality and we pursue it. And so Dawkins was really onto something. And the more directly connected your investments are with your vision of that ideal future of greater purpose, the more pleasure you're going to get out of seeing those things succeed. You know, the, the kingdom of God becomes our purposeful trajectory. You know, we talked a lot about that last week. It, it is interesting that the Jewish community 
um, around the world leads in so many areas of innovation especially in medical development, the Jewish community is invested in, in fighting against cancer. And they're, they're like lead researchers and lead uh, people making machinery for, for how to fight against cancer and other huge diseases. What's coming out of this culture is, is because they see that God has an ideal. They see shalom. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that perfect ideal where there is peace and there is unity and there is no more conflict. We, they see that and they say, how can we bring that into our reality today? And so they invest in, in these great in innovations and they say, this is where we're going. Now it's an overgeneralization, but there's a lot of representation of the Jewish community that's, that's doing that and it's amazing. And so you know, as, as we become people who are, who are focused on the vision that God has for us, it empowers us to say, well, what am I able to invest in time, energy, resources that are able to help the world see a greater, um, a greater means, a greater purpose? And so maybe it means investing in a stock, in a company that's doing that kind of stuff. You know, you're, you're helping promote something. Maybe it means that, that, your, that your work, you know, you, you look at how does my work bring all of this stuff and, and, and improve things? Or how do I make my hobby time? How do I make that something that I'm able to invest in improving something towards the kingdom of God? When we get that value, then we could start to align decisions towards it where our treasure is, that's where our heart starts moving us and we go in that direction. But there are pulls on our wealth. There are pulls and things that, that make us kind of lose our wealth and, and these would be our, uh, one of them is our impulse decisions, our desires. So my wife will attest to this. I can't think of a time in my life and maybe it's because I grew up in poverty, but I can't think of a time in my life when I haven't had a list of things that I want. Now, it also might be because I live in a, in a media saturated environment that's telling me that you want this and you want this and you want this. And if I see an ad long enough, then I start to think, well, maybe I do want that. Um, but I can't, you know, it goes right back to when I, I think I was 11 and, uh, and there was this Panasonic Ghetto Blaster in 2001 audio video. And it had, it was this weird shape. It kind of came together here and, the, and then the speakers came up. And right in the dead center, it had a CD tray. And the CD tray, you would just wave your hand in front of it and it would open for you. And then you wave your hand in front of it and it would close and start playing automatically. And it was so cool. And it was $399 and I was 12 and I wanted it. And I was like, oh, that's on my list. That's what I want. And I would make a list of all these things I want. I never, I never got that. But, you know, it was, it was something that was on my list. I, oh, oh, new clothing is always on my list. You know, oh, I just, want, I just want new clothing. Well, I don't know why I want new clothing. Is there eternal value in it? No, probably not. Is it, is it all wrong? No, it's just that becomes a place that is a drag on my wealth. It's not a moral decision. It's a, this is a reality. It drags on my wealth. If I didn't spend money on clothing, then I would have more money to spend on other things. So it's a drag on my wealth. It's an expense. Um, there are times where I need new clothing, so I go get it. But I'm talking about, I, I, I just always want more clothing. Um, and so the, now, oh, now my list 
uh, involves things that are that cost more than a hundred thousand um, dollars. And my wife just looks at me and she shakes her head and she goes, "That's just a, it's a whim. It's something you want. It's not something that's going to help us get to the goals that we have set out. It's not an actual investment that says, yeah, this is where we go. It's just a whim." So. You know, we we deal with all of these these impulses and these desires, and uh, and and we go like, how do we how do we choose what to get? You know, is it is it something that really is it is is it just an impulse? Is it something that fits inside my my miscellaneous budget and doesn't affect when I'm investing into something? If then maybe I could just squeeze it in there and it's okay. But if I've got to save like $100,000 for an impulse, for just a desire, is that pulling on my wealth? Or is that helping me build towards the vision of the reality that God wants to see in my life and in the world? That's a really important question to ask about your impulses and your desires. We evaluate our desires. Our culture has a value to say, oh, follow your heart. Well, that's what, that's what, uh, Solomon did in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. I followed my heart. I made myself gardens and parks and watering holes and all of this stuff. I just did whatever my heart, I just followed my heart without discretion, without putting it into the bigger scheme of things, it becomes vanity. So we've got to put it in this larger scheme that says, what way, in what way do I make my decisions? Does it reflect the kingdom of God? Does it start to, to build towards that? Does it start to show that abundance of resources that's accessible for others that we're able to say, yeah, you follow God's ways and this happens? Okay, uh, do, do I have to go into debt for it? That's something we're gonna get to in just a second because it's our second way that, uh, that things pull on our wealth. Um, and is it an investment in something that will show the kingdom of God? Okay, so, my wife and I, we were, we were blessed with being able to go to, to the Dominican. We prayed and said, God, we can't afford this. And, and, uh, and, and then we were like, if, if there's any way we could go on a vacation and, and expenses on our budget sheet, um, they, they went smaller and we were able to take that excess money. We were able to take that surplus and we put it towards going to the Dominican. Oh, that's just superfluous, Pastor Rob. You just, you just did that and, and it doesn't invest in anything kingdom of God. And I challenge that. See, sometimes we, we think that, that, oh, that's just a luxury thing. But guess what that did for me? That gave me a week with my wife where we were able to have really important relational conversations where I was able to refresh spiritually and, and physically so that I could continue doing what God's called me to do. So let's not get all too spiritual about what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God takes care of the people in it. And, and that's something that, that happens. So we need to, it's not as black and white as it seems. Here's my advice to you. When you're really thinking about how to spend your wealth, pray. Pray and say, God, is what I'm doing right now honoring to you? Does it invest in your bigger picture? Or is it just an impulse of my heart that's only focused on myself? Think about those things. Pray about them. I'm not going to judge whether you, you got it right or got it wrong. That's not my place. Between you and God, you sort out your investments. 
But the second thing that I want to talk about that pulls on our wealth is debt. You know, in our culture, there's good debt and there's bad debt. Um, I have a famous story that I like to tell about my experience with bad debt. Um, I worked at Tip Top Tailors. I made $2.83 an hour plus 3% commission on all my sales. That was the pay breakdown. It was awful. Um, I would work for 40 hours a week and a uh, one week would bring into my personal uh, account $380. It was awful. I mean, Christmas was a little bit better. I would get around $650 for a week of work. Um, but it was, it was a terrible pay scale and I believe they've changed it now, but it was really bad. But I walked into Denny Leather, which was across the, the hall and down uh, from, from my store when I worked in the mall. Um, and, uh, and I walked into Denny Leather and there was this beautiful leather jacket. Um, I still own it today because, well, there's a good reason why I still own it today. The leather jacket was on sale for 300 and I think it was $379.99. I think I've got a picture of the price tag in my mind. And I thought, oh, this is really good. I could get a leather jacket. And there were always, I love clothing, I said, right? So my impulse, you know, I go to the, I go to the counter and they say, oh, you could get a Dania card. Sweet, I could get a Dania card. Put it under credit. I wasn't thinking, I, th I think I was like 17 at the time. And uh, I got a Dania card. I got approved instantly. Walk out of the store with a brand new leather jacket. You know, I'm looking good. And I was excited about my leather jacket. It was really good. I, I forgot about it. I forgot about paying my bill. Yep, totally forgot. I think it was nine years later when the credit agencies found me and, and started calling me about this debt that I never paid. My over $1,000 Danier jacket needed to be paid. And uh, all of it was interest. It was just this ridiculous amount of interest. I can't even remember the total amount. I think it was around the $1,200 mark that, that I ended up having to pay for this coat because I didn't take care of my impulse spending. And I went into debt for it. So that's bad debt. Consumer debt is generally a bad debt. Um, good debt allows the value of the item to increase while I'm still paying it off. And then at the end of me paying it off, the value exceeds the amount of interest that I paid on it. So then I'm able to say, look, I have way more than I had when I started. And a mortgage is a perfect example of that. You know, we get, we get more out of our mortgages than we get out of everything else. So the Bible does say, you know, don't, don't owe anybody anything except for the, the debt to love one another in Romans 13, 18. And that's, that's referring to personal loans. It's not saying that all debt is bad, but just really be careful with debt. It does pull on your, um, <clears throat> on your, on your uh, wealth. So we want to manage our wealth. Um, and, uh, and, and the way we do that is through saving and long-term planning. When you save for something... Here's a cool thing that happens. It takes longer to get it. Um, it tests your resolve for it. And it shows the actual value of your desire. It really shows how valuable is it? How, how important is that thing to you? So to practice saving, actually, it really is helpful to take the money out of your main account and put it in another account, preferably one that takes 24 hours or 48 hours to transfer back into your main account. Um, you could do that through a financial planner and, uh, and, and that would be just fine. 
Um, Long-term planning. This is so important. When you're making your, when you're managing your wealth, make sure you're having conversations about long-term plannings. Set your family's values and goals and interpretation of, of what the kingdom of God would have you do and, and what that looks like and how you could participate in it. Make sure that, that all areas of your life start to point your life towards one thing. You can have whatever job in the world you want. You, you could be faithful in it and start to do it because you recognize that you're bringing glory to God in it. You're just very simple. Brother Lawrence, a uh, great guy, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he said that, that he would just be washing dishes, a completely menial task. And he said that through the faithfulness of washing dishes, he was worshiping God. And he was able to link his menial job with the idea of worshiping God. We do it with our investments. We take our little investments and we link it. This is how I see it linked to the kingdom of God. We do it with how we're raising our children. This is how we see it linked to the kingdom of God. We do it with every element of our life. This is how I see it linked to the kingdom of God. And when we do that, Christianity becomes more than just a creed, more than just a, a set of do's and don'ts, more than just I have to go to church on a Sunday. But it starts to direct and build into your whole life. Christianity is a call for our entire life. And so when we're long-term planning, consider and think about where your wealth goes. So to conclude our series, we talked about getting the real data on our budgets so that we could live within our means. We talked about finding our places to be generous and trusting God to make the resources show up. We talked about building wealth in four different ways of categorizing it. And we talked about wealth gain, uh, wealth gain as a way that it could be bad when it's self-focused or a way that it could be good when we're able to attach it to our vision of the kingdom of God and controlling impulses and saving for worthy causes. So pleasure comes from the accomplishment. When we're able to do this, we start to see the pleasure and, and life is lived more abundantly. So these are steps right now, wherever you find yourself in your financial journey from scarcity towards wealth, I encourage you to engage the conversations, engage it and say, what is the next best thing that I could do in my journey towards seeing the, the kingdom of God, which is a fully resourced kingdom, realized in my own life as much as possible. And this is where, this is where the journey of being a Christian is. So... I want to pray for you. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you have us on a journey and each one of us fits somewhere on the scale in, in our struggle with scarcity or our struggle with how to manage resources properly. God, we fit somewhere here. And in this, in this series, we've talked all the way through different strategies and approaches on how to deal with it and how to grow, but yet it was still so superficial. God, I pray that, that this series would launch families into discussions about finances and wealth management that would allow them to capitalize on, on the reality that they have right now, that would allow them to grow for good causes, that would allow them to see your kingdom established and growing. And God, I pray that you would bless families. God, especially the families that right now that find themselves closer to scarcity. God, I pray that you would bless them and give them hope towards the future, that they would be able to say, my God is faithful and he's going to take me there and I'm not giving up and I'm not letting go. And for times when Promise Church needs to come around and gather around and support people, God, I pray that we would be a generous people that would do it. 
I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.